Well, good morning. I'm Stephen. I'm the pastor here. And we're going to start today by talking about the difference between hope and joy. Okay, the difference between hope and joy. Um, one of the clearest ways that we can see this difference is in the sports world. Uh, the college basketball tournament is live and in full effect. And every team hopes that they're going to win the tournament. But joy goes to the one team that wins it all. Right? The difference between hope and joy. That joy, the joy of victory is real. It's, it's somewhat fleeting, but it's real even for the fans. Right? Even fans experience that sense of both hope and then joy if their team wins. Um, outside the sports world, think about a reconciled marriage or reconciliation in marriage. Um, last week, I heard about a marriage that was destroyed by secrecy and adultery. Um, the couple made a decision to try to work things out. They had hope that things could improve. But it wasn't until after they had done the hard work of forgiveness and change and reconciliation when they saw and experienced that they could actually have a new marriage, then their hope turned into a growing joy. That difference between hope and joy. Um, Jordan Peterson is a clinical psychologist and an author, and he said this. He said, when your life falls apart, the pathway to try to fix things goes in one of two directions. Either the pathway to fix things is out there, meaning the world has to change to make things better, or the problem is me. And he said, if the problem is out there, then I'm hopeless because I can't fix the world. But if the problem is me, even if what that means is there's something that I can do to make things incrementally, even just a little bit better, then that gives me hope, right? And when we begin to see things change, even if we're making little incrementally tiny improvements, when we begin to see change in us, even if it's small change, our confidence begins to grow and our hope can become joy. Now, on Easter, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And we need to remember that Jesus didn't just come back from the dead. Okay, that's not what happened. We're not celebrating that Jesus came back from the dead. I asked somebody this week, so what, is, what does Easter mean? Well, Jesus rose from the dead. What, is East, what does Jesus rising from the dead mean? And they said, well, it means that he came back from the dead. And I'm like, no, actually, that's not what it means. Because the language of coming back from the dead is kind of as though Jesus were like flatlining in the tomb. And God took these spiritual panels, right? And he stuck them on Jesus, you know? And Jesus comes back, right? And he comes out of the grave and he returns to the life that he had before he died. That's not what Easter is about, okay? Easter is not that Jesus came back from the dead. Easter is that Jesus went into death and then came out the other side. Jesus did not come back to this life Jesus went beyond this life, beyond death, into eternal life. That's what Easter celebrates. That's the victory over sin and death, is that Jesus has inherited the eternal life that we all long for. 
We don't want to live in this broken world. We don't want to live in these broken bodies. We don't want to live in the midst of struggle with sin and brokenness, right? We want the world to come. We want a new heavens and a new earth where heaven and earth have been joined together, where there's perfect communion between us and God, where there's no sin, where everything is made right. That's what we long for. That's the life that Jesus entered into in the resurrection. And the fact that he was that way and appeared to people in this life shows that there's an overlap. There's an overlap now between heaven and earth. There's an overlap between this age and the age to come. We now live in that overlap and we long for and we can taste. We want so much to have that experience of eternal life today. And so knowing that that's what happened to Jesus, that he was victorious, that gives us great hope, especially if we're committed to following him, because then his victory is our victory. We are on his team and he has won. But if he's victorious and we are on his team, then why is my life so full of problems? Right? Does this mean that Jesus actually doesn't work for me? Like, did I do something wrong? Is there something missing? Like, if he won, then why is it that in my own heart and in my own life, why do I feel like I'm losing? The answer, the answer that the Bible gives us is that it's because there's something that you have to do. There's something that you have to do to experience change, to experience the resurrection of Jesus. Romans 6.11 shows us how Jesus' resurrection is good news that can turn our hope into joy. So let's look at that. Let's look at that verse. It's in your bulletin. It's going to be up on the screens. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. Just one verse today. It says this, So you must also Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So you must consider also yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We're going to see three things in this one verse um, that you need to know about Easter to move from hope to joy. So first, there's a command for your spiritual bank account. Okay, there's a command here. Um, if you want to take notes, I'd write that down. There's a command for your spiritual bank account. There's something significant about the placement of this command. Because this verse is actually the first command in this entire letter. Okay, You might not know that. Most people don't know that. But this is the first time that we see a command in this whole letter. And this is important because we are eight pages into this letter, right? This is the letter. This is Romans 1, verse 1, all the way up to Romans 6, verse 11, right? This last sentence, it's in green there. Um, that is this verse that we're looking at. So we're in the middle of chapter 6. That means for five and a half chapters, there are no commands, okay? Seven and a half pages in, there is nothing that we are told to do. So these chapters, these five and a half chapters, these seven and a half pages, they are filled with descriptions of the blessings 
of God's love and his power to people who aren't perfect. That's what the first, that's the beginning of this letter teaches us. And this is a huge part of the good news. This is a huge part of why Christianity is good news, is that God's blessings come to us before his commands. Do you know that? And so many people have been taught the lie that we have to earn God's blessings, that we have to be good enough before we are accepted by God. This letter says different. It is not Christianity. If someone makes you feel like all God cares about is telling you what to do and what not to do, that's not Christianity. That's not the Bible. From beginning to end, God blesses his people and then he commands them. There's a relationship first. The relationship always comes first. These seven pages, these seven and a half pages show us that while we weren't good enough, Christ died for us. And he rose again so that we would be accepted and forgiven. Now, not only does this change the way we understand Christianity, not only does this change the way, it should reset for you. Um, if you think God's not pleased with you because you haven't been good enough, then, man, you're not following Jesus. <laughs> That's not how Jesus treats his people. Jesus blesses us first. But this doesn't just change the way that we think about the order in the commands with Christianity, but this actually changes what we think about what commands are. Okay, this changes what commands are actually for us. So what do I mean by that? Well, commands in the Bible, they're designed by God to be invitations to us to go deeper with him. That's what the commands are for. Now, if you've had a life, even a spiritual life, anything like mine, I spent a lot of time in my life thinking that the commands of God were designed to show me how short I fall, to show me how not good enough I am, to make me feel guilty, to make me feel ashamed. That's not what's happening in this letter, which is called by most people who know the Bible, the most important book in the Bible. The commands of God are God inviting us to experience the resurrection for ourselves. The commands are how we go from hope to joy because they help us experience the resurrection of Jesus. And so, and let's just look at actually what this first command is. I, I love this. Verse 11 says, So you must also consider yourselves. And so the command here, the command here is for us to know something about yourselves, right? It's to think about yourself in a certain way. And again, this is different, isn't it? Because I was always taught, religion tends to teach that the command is, the first command will come, is it, well, now you got to fix your life. Now you get your life in order. 
come on, now, let's go. Let's give you a kick in the pit. Like, come on, hello. Let's, I mean, that's, that's not what this command is. This command is not saying that we have to fix everything in our life. The first command that God gives his people is to believe. Is to believe that you are different. This is good news. And this word consider, it's kind of a fun, it's one of those words that if you study it and you go deeper with the word, it sort of explodes into new meaning and it, it takes on like greater significance. Um, the word consider is actually a financial accounting term from the first century. Okay? So the finance folks, if you were going to take a look at your finances, you would use the word consider. Um, in other translations, it's called reckoning. And, you know, there's like the day of reckoning where um, you have to like get your books out. The, the point is to consider was to look at your finances and to see your account balance. That's how this word was used in the first century. And so this verse is commanding us, it's saying, in light of Jesus' death and resurrection, check the balance on your spiritual bank account. That's what is being taught here. Now, one biblical scholar, his name is N.T. Wright. Um, some of you have heard of him, some of you haven't. Um, he said this about this verse. He says, considering doesn't create something that's not there. He said, when I add up the money in my bank account, that does not create money. Wish that it would, right? Um, it merely informs me of the amount that's already there. That's exciting. Because in this command, God isn't telling you to pull yourself up by your spiritual bootstraps. God is saying, do the math and see who you really are in Christ. God is saying, do the math and see everything that you have. And so, what do we have? What do we have? Well, that's our second point. So we got a command for our spiritual bank account. Our second point is know your balance. Know your balance, that you are dead and alive. Verse 11 says, you are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so Jesus' death and resurrection changes our relationship to God and sin. Changes our relationship with God, changes our relationship with sin. The story of Jesus that gives us hope becomes the story of us that gives us joy. So you are dead to sin. This means that because of what Jesus has done, sin doesn't have to control you anymore. Your sins are forgiven. You are accepted by God. The power that sin had that controlled you before has been broken and you have been given God's power. Your bank account was that you lived for sin, that you were addicted to it, that it controlled you. But now, now you are dead to it. Now you're forgiven and accepted. And, and you're alive to God. As Jesus was raised from the dead, so too you are raised to have new spiritual life. You see what Jesus has done for you and you want to love him back. You want to follow him 
if he was willing to make this ultimate sacrifice to suffer the penalty that your sins deserved, that can melt your heart. When you see that Jesus loves you so much that he left heaven to live on this earth and that he suffered and died, that he had your name written on his hands, your name inscribed on the palms where the nails went so that he could set you free. That love compels us. That love compels us. It makes us want to put him first. And this is actually what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian is to confess your sins and then to say, Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my leader. You are my true president. You are my true boss. You are my true authority. In every way, Jesus, you come first. No matter what anybody else says, whatever you say goes, that's what it means to be a Christian. And for someone to do that, right, nobody has, I mean, this is speaking hyperbole, but nobody does that on their own, right? Nobody is living that way and then they meet Jesus, right? And so to meet Jesus, to commit your life to Jesus is to say Jesus, you're first. And so that is, like just the act of doing that is to come alive spiritually, is to come alive to God. Because now you think about your life differently. Now you think about leadership differently. You think about things that are right and wrong differently. You have different loves. You now love God when you never did before. The things that separate you from God, you don't like anymore. There's things that you used to love that don't make God happy, and so you don't love those things anymore. This is spiritual life. And so this command is that you need to consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. This is now your balance. Your balance is that you no longer live for sin, but you now live for God. You now love God. That's in your heart. If your heart is indicative of the balance of who you are, then the spiritual balance of your heart is now love for God. And that is there. That is new life. That's new life. Um, on Friday, this cross looked very, very different. Um, on Good Friday, we had a time here where we wrote down the sins that we commit. We wrote down our lamentations about the way that the world was broken. And we nailed these things to the cross because we were rehearsing the fact that Jesus died, not just for sin in general, not just to combat evil in general, but he died for our sins. The suffering that he experienced was the suffering that we deserve to experience for the sins that we've committed. And so we nailed our sins on the cross in hope. In hope that God would forgive us in hope that Jesus, that death for Jesus might not be the end. And today, today we see that everything has been transformed. Today we see that the cross no longer has a body, but God is bringing now beauty into the places where our sin was multiplied. And so, just some of the sins that people nailed to the cross. Someone or several people actually said, I'm angry with God because of my loneliness. 
I'm mad at God because I'm alone. And they nailed that to the cross. And the resurrection means that Jesus says, look, I know what you've done in your anger. I know that you've been mad at me and mad at others. I know you've been mad because you're not in a relationship. I know you've acted out. I see all of the things that you have done because of this anger. And I forgive you. I forgive you because I took the punishment. I took on myself the destruction that your anger has poured out on others. That was part of the suffering that I experienced on the cross. And in the resurrection, I guarantee you that you will never be alone again. Even when it feels like nobody sees you, even when it feels like nobody knows and nobody cares, I see you. And I care so much that I had your name written on my hands when I went to the cross. I love you so much that I will never, ever let you go. And in resurrection, my comfort to you is going to have a renewing effect on your life so that now you're going to pursue relationships not just to feed a need that's deep in your heart because that need has been met by me, but now you're going to seek relationships so that you can find others who are lonely and let them know that they're not alone. Friends, that's dead to sin and alive to God. There were people who nailed to the cross um, sins of stealing from their workplace, from people, from the company, time, money, resources. Jesus says to you, the cross says to you, your sins in the workplace are forgiven. I forgive you for what you've done. And in my resurrection, I want to renew in you aspects of my image. I want to fan into flame my image so that you would see that your work is one of the ways that you bring my presence into the world. The work that you do is one of the ways that, that you get to act out what I'm like. In the quality of the work that you do, my excellence is shown. In the integrity of the, in, in the integrity that you have while you work, my character is shown. In the way that you treat other people in the workplace, my love, my grace, my justice is shown. In the way that your job or your company serves the community at large. You show the city my love. This is what it means to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. And naming this for ourselves is really powerful. 
naming this. We call this, like I said, this is called preaching the gospel to ourselves. We are naming this, the, the, the command to consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. This is an act for us of naming and reminding ourselves of what our balance is and naming this, saying that this is true, considering that this is true, being convinced that this is true about us is an act of leadership that from the beginning of the Bible, from Genesis chapter two, from the very beginning of the Bible, naming is a gift it's a, it, that God has given to human beings made in his image um, that have an incredibly powerful impact on what we see and what we experience on who we are. And so we're called to name these things and they become more and more and more our reality. And we need to do this. We need to name these things for ourselves. We need to consider this and we need to consider what the Bible says about the balance in our account because there are so many things that lie to us about who we are and what we have. There's so many things that lie to us. Um, And so there's things that make us doubt that this is true. There's things that make us forget that this is true. Um, There's times when, frankly, we don't feel like we're dead to sin and alive to God. And so we need this command. We need this reminder. We need God to reset and reposition us so that we can see our real balance as he has inspired the Bible to tell us that this is who we are. And we are this way, the verse says, in Christ Jesus. So this bank account transfer happens because we are committed to Jesus. On the cross, Jesus took our negative balance, that balance that was alive to sin and dead to God. But in the resurrection, he gives us his balance. So what this means is that our experience of the resurrection is based on his accomplishment. It is as sure as he was raised from the dead. And the key for us to experience this as a daily reality um, is our point three. It's our third point. So our third point is that we need to check, you need to check your balance to experience it. So know your balance, and then you need to check your balance to experience it. So checking your balance means rehearsing these truths. Rehearsing this reality is what moves us from hope to joy. It's what makes us new. Again, this is preaching the gospel to ourselves. Remembering that this is our balance reminds us of how much God loves us. It reminds us of how much Jesus has done for us. It reminds us of the amazing blessings that God has put into our spiritual bank account. And so again, rehearsing this gives us a chance to re-experience it. When the man or the woman of your dreams writes you a letter telling you how much they love you, that letter, like, that letter changes you. That letter fills you with joy, Right? You don't throw that letter away. You keep it somewhere in a drawer, in a box, in a, you know, at your desk. Um, and you revisit that letter and it reminds you and it refills you as you think about their love. Even if you don't have the letter with you, you can remember some of the things that it said or you remember the reality of the person who said it. 
and how they feel about you. And that warms your heart. The same thing is true for us. The same thing is true. This is why God has given us the Bible, is to express to us how much he loves us, how personal his care is for us. It's to show us all these different ways that he has worked in the lives of people, that he's related to them as God and Father, as um, Lord and leader, as Savior, as brother and friend. All these ways are in the Bible, ways God has treated us. And when we rehearse these things, when we remember these things, that's like us checking our balance. Now, doing this, checking our balance, it takes practice. It takes repetition. Um, doing it once, you can be good for a while, right? But that feeling sometimes fades off. It fades away. Um, we've got to keep believing that these things are true. Um, Johnny Chickalela was a San Diego musician um, who's a good friend to many here at Harbor. Um, he played and taught music here in San Diego for decades. And he was known for saying this. He said, don't quit until the magic happens. Don't quit practicing until the magic happens. I mean, it takes, sometimes it takes a while, right? Sometimes you'll have an experience of God and you'll feel his presence and you'll have the sense that he's with you and your heart will be full of joy to overflowing. Other times, it feels like we have to wrestle with God, Right? It feels like we have to hold on to him and not let him go until he blesses us. Don't quit. Don't quit practicing. Don't quit checking your balance until the magic happens. And the magic is you realizing that these aren't just words on a page, but these are an expression of a God who loves you personally and is present right now working in your life. If you feel far away, the chances are that it's you that have moved away from him. The chances are that there's something that you've put in between you and him. And this command is an invitation for you to come back, for you to open your heart again to God. After his death and his resurrection, he's shown that you can trust him. So how can we do this? How can we check our balance this week? Let me give you just some practical things that you can do. First, come back next week. It's easy, right? Don't do anything. Just, just live off of what you learned and experienced today all week long and just come back next week. We're just starting. We're just starting this series on practicing the new you. We're just starting this experience. There's really three ways that we exercise spiritually speaking. Today we're talking about things that you need to know. We're going to go beyond that into things you need to be, things you need to do um, in the weeks to come. But come back next week and we'll continue to go deeper into this. Um, and then I also want to encourage you to rehearse Romans this week. Okay, um, in your bulletin, there's this little quarter sheet. What I've done is I've taken the first five and a half chapters of Romans, so all the way up to Romans 6.11, where we are today, and I've said, all right, what if we read just a little bit every day, starting today, all week long, 
And if you look at this, there's like today, read one verse. Tomorrow, five verses. Tuesday, one verse. Wednesday, two verses. And the point isn't, oh, so you can get done in 10 seconds, although in some of these it only take you 10 seconds to read. But the point is to read these passages, because these passages specifically rehearse our bank account with God. These passages specifically remind us of who we are and the reality of what it means that the resurrection of Jesus has taken over our lives. And so, even if you spent five minutes reading the passage and then praying and saying, God, help me to experience this today. God, where can I put this? Where can I consider that this is my truth in my life this week? Just do that and you'll experience, in your rehearsing, you'll experience the resurrection. And then the last thing I want to tell you to do today is so I, that, that, I want you to t- that I want to tell you to do is something you can do today. And that is, I want you to place two flowers on this cross. Okay? This cross was covered on Friday with our sins. This cross was covered with our lamentation and our frustration about the things that are broken with the world. And those sins have been taken away and replaced in the resurrection of Jesus. The cross has become a thing of beauty. And so I want to invite you, we're going to do this during communion. We're going to do communion a little bit differently, and I'll explain it in the, in, when we do communion. But we're going to do communion differently, and I want you to take two flowers and put two flowers on this cross. Um, it's full of flowers already because we did this in the first service. Um, and it's fitting, isn't it? Because we're not the first people to hear about the cross. And in fact, even if we were the first service, right, for 2,000 years, Christians have been experiencing the resurrection of Jesus. They've, experiencing, they've been experiencing their own death to sin and being alive to God. And so we are following in their footsteps. We are adding to the beauty of what God has been doing. And we know it's not all beautiful because not, God's not done with us right? There's lots of work, but two flowers, two flowers. The first flower is to rejoice that your sins are forgiven and that Jesus has forgiven and accepted you and welcomed you into his family. And so you rejoice in that, that God's beautiful love has taken hold of you. The second flower is your commitment to spreading what is good to others. It's you saying, Not only has Jesus taken hold of my heart, but I want to spread what is good. I want to spread what is gracious and loving to others. And so one is, I've experienced this. Two is, I want to share this in my city. Now, for those of you who are here and you're not Christians, um, I would encourage you to become a Christian. We've talked about what that means. You just confess your sins, make Jesus the leader and the, make him first in every area of your life. I mean, that's the commitment that you make to become a Christian. And you're in. And you're in. If you're not ready to do that, but you're still interested in wanting to spread what is good and gracious and loving into the rest of our city, then I invite you also to come forward. You don't have to take communion and just take one of the flowers. Take that second flower that says, I want to do my part and making San Diego better, and making the city I live in better. And please, join us, because I think it's important as a church that 
obviously is honest about the exclusive claims of Jesus, we actively want to work with people that disagree with us as much as we possibly can to see that, hey, where do we agree? Where, where can we overlap? And so we'd love for you to join us and put a flower on the cross. No one's going to be watching who does one, who does two. Don't worry about that. But come and join us and decorate this cross with us as well. Friends, we need to do this before we enter into the challenges of life, right? Because um, when we hit the challenge, usually it's too late. It's too late for me. I've snapped. I've been angry. I've done the wrong thing. We need to rehearse this in the morning. We need to rehearse this on the way to work. We need to rehearse this at break at work, right? We need to rehearse this in before we go into that relationship, right? Um, and so let's preach this gospel to ourselves, and let's share this truth with each other this week. Pray with me. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Thank you for your power and for sharing your victory with us. Help us, each one of us, to experience your resurrection so that we might be transformed, so we might be made new, so that we would be able to follow you and love you as we share your love with others. We pray this in your name. Amen.